Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Chocolates are sweet, but they don't last long. Flowers are pretty, and then they're gone. So this Mother's Day, why not give your mum the gift that keeps on giving with Ancestry DNA? Ancestry DNA is on sale now for $99, a saving of $30. Ancestry DNA won't just tell your mum where her ancestors are from, it can also pinpoint the specific regions within those countries, connecting mum to the places where her story started. Ancestry DNA lets us look back across centuries to see where her family lived and where they moved. Combined with Ancestry's massive database of official records, this can open up fascinating migration stories. Who knows? Give your mum Ancestry DNA this Mother's Day and she might even discover living relatives. I know it's possible because it happened for me. Ancestry DNA is safe, easy to use and completely private. When your mum gets the kit, she just sends back a small saliva sample using the prepaid postal box provided. In a few weeks, she'll receive an email with the links to her results. From there, your mother has control of the data and how she uses it. There could be more to your mum's story. Piece it together with Ancestry DNA, now on sale. Terms apply. It's Tuesday the 1st of March 1859, just after 7.30 in the morning, and Melbourne's about to witness the start of an endurance feat that's advertised as the wonder of the age. We're talking a 1,000-mile walk completed in 1,000 consecutive hours. It's a Herculean task that was first accomplished by Captain Robert Barclay in England back in 1809. Since then, the 1,000 in 1,000 has become pedestrianism's gold standard accomplishment. Yet, it was only four months ago in Ballarat that the Barclay match was finally won for the first time in Australia. That honour actually went to veteran American pedestrian Alan McKean, and he was an absolute wreck when he crossed the finish line. So, if walking 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours reduced a strapping young man to a physical and mental mess, what chance is a woman going to have of taking on the same epic challenge? Not just any woman, but a tiny woman with a short stride who's well into middle age and whose body has borne seven children. What hope does she have? Melbourne punters are about to find out. Inside the American Hippodrome, a vast new circus theatre recently opened on Lonsdale Street, Mrs Margaret Douglas steals herself for the arduous journey ahead. And not everyone's happy about this female pedestrian taking centre stage right in the centre of the city. Bell's Life in Victoria and Sporting Chronicle, which regularly celebrates male walkers, runners, jumpers and hoppers, says that this female pedestrian's undertaking is, quote, so unwomanly they must refrain from giving any further particulars. There are plenty of other newspaper naysayers too, but Margaret Douglas isn't put off. She starts walking, as scheduled, at quarter to eight. 
Margaret finishes the first mile within 15 minutes and, after a brief rest, then walks the second mile by quarter past eight. Now she takes a 90-minute rest. 998 miles and 998 hours to go. All she has to do is keep up this routine for the next 41 days and 16 hours. I'm Michael Adams and this is part one of the two-part Forgotten Australia episode, Australia's First Sporting Heroine. Researching the recent episode about the Flying Pieman, I was amazed to stumble upon stories about female endurance pedestrian Margaret Douglas. By today's standards, her extreme sports feats remain incredible and they're all the more astounding because she did them in the constrictive clothing of the day and without the benefit of nutrition and sports science. No active wear in Nikes, protein shakes and electrolyte drinks for Margaret Douglas. But what's even more remarkable is that by conquering a manly sport, she achieved fame at a time when sports women were vanishingly rare in Australia. Marion K. Stell's 1991 book, Half the Race, which is a history of Australian women's sports, tells us that in the early to mid-1800s, some white women were active in card games, segregated swimming, side saddle equestrianism, and hunting on horseback. They also dabbled in pedestrianism. Marion K. Stell points to two early instances of female athletic participation. The first was a surprise to me because it took place in Parramatta in May 1810, five months before that Hyde Park racing carnival I referred to in the Flying Pieman episode. This day's frolics included a novelty sack race between three women. Marion K. Stell's second example was in Hobart in 1817, when a 68-year-old woman, who'd long walked with crutches, accepted what sounds like a cruel five-shilling wager to tramp up and down a steep hill 50 times in 12 hours. Checking the newspaper reports of these events is to see that the names of the women weren't revealed. Yet Margaret Douglas's name was once briefly known. This was despite the worst efforts of many newspaper men who underreported, disparaged and even suppressed her activities because of the threat she supposedly posed to the moral order of Victoria. Left unsaid but no doubt a factor was that these gents of the newspapers themselves felt threatened by a woman who wasn't just equal but demonstrably superior to men at a game that had long been associated with the physical peak of masculinity. As we'll hear, Margaret Douglas was cut out of the news wherever possible. The result was that when later researchers turned to archives to investigate early Australian sports, it was pretty easy to miss not only Margaret, but also her Melbourne female rival, and to conclude that women hadn't been seriously involved in the sport of pedestrianism. The opening to Marion K. Stell's chapter on colonial sportswomen in Half the Race went like this, quote, It is no accident that Australia's most famous sportswomen are all from the 20th century. A conspiracy of silence has enshrouded the deeds of colonial sportswomen, a cultural exclusion which was started by their male contemporaries and relayed by generations of male sports commentators. The horrible irony of this is that half the race didn't mention Margaret Douglas. Marion K. Stell was researching and writing when digitised newspapers weren't available, and it was only because they were available to me that I was able to stumble upon this secret part of our sporting history. 
So here, for the first time, is the story of the marvellous Margaret Douglas, who I believe was Australia's first sporting heroine. To best understand what Margaret Douglas achieved, we need to know a bit about early female pedestrians who gave their male counterparts a walk for their money, in terms of their accomplishments and their colourful personalities. Male endurance pedestrianism became popular in England around the mid-1770s. Yet long before this, a woman named Mary Wilkinson was completing massive walks. She made the pages of the Bury and Norwich Post on the 8th of October 1788 because she'd recently passed on. Quote, Lately died in Romald Kirk, a small village in the north of Yorkshire, Mary Wilkinson, aged 100 and nine years. When young, she walked several times to London, sometimes in four days, though the distance is 290 computed miles. When at the age of 90, she was desirous of seeing the city again, and buckling a keg of gin and a sufficiency of provisions on her back to support to the end of her journey, she left Rommelkirk and reached London in five days and three hours an instance of vigorous age not to be equaled by the boasting pedestrians of the present day. Thirty years later, after Captain Barclay's feat of 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours, long-distance pedestrianism was all the rage, and sometimes the competitors were women. In January 1816, in a field in Maidstone in Kent, for a wager of 30 guineas, Mary Frith, a 36-year-old mother of six, undertook to walk 30 miles a day for 20 days. In the summer and autumn of 1823, England was amazed by the exploits of eight-year-old Emma Matilda Freeman, who on several occasions was engaged to run or walk 30 miles in eight hours for wages of around 100 guineas. On the 11th of August at the Chelsea Cricket Ground, this little tacker accomplished her goal once again. London's Morning Post said she did so, quote, with perfect ease, 11 minutes within the time, doing the last mile in less time than any of the preceding. She occasionally took a little refreshment of wine and water and appeared in excellent spirits to the last. Five years later, at the other end of the age scale, Irish woman Mary McMullen undertook to walk 92 miles in 24 successive hours on a race course in Newcastle. An immense crowd saw her finish 27 minutes ahead of time and her fans took her to the pub and did a whip round that netted her about 20 pounds. Over the next few years, Mary McMullen several times walked 96 miles in 24 hours and hit a personal best in Norwich in 1830 by clocking up 100 miles in that time. Yet it wasn't until the end of 1843 that the first woman, identified only as a Mrs Harrison, was reported as taking on the 1,000-mile match on a road in South Yorkshire. On the 7th of January 1844, soon after celebrating her 40th birthday, Mrs. Harrison crossed the finish line and became the first woman on record to conquer 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours. The next pedestrian mania was in the early 1850s. One of the most famous was the incidental pedestrian Cornish fishwife Mary Kellynack, who, at the age of 84, created much excitement in September 1851 when she arrived in London with a basket on her head, having walked 285 miles from Penzance because she wanted to see the Great Exhibition. 
At this very time, on the other side of the Atlantic, an American woman was making her name as a long-distance walker right as the craze for wearing bloomers was sweeping the nation. Because she donned these less constrictive pantaloons, Miss C.C. Cushman became known as the Bloomer Pedestrian when she did 500 miles in 500 consecutive hours in a park in St. Louis. More American Bloomer pedestrians came hot on her heels, but these women did their best walking work in England. 24-year-old Kate Irvine in August 1852 clocked up 500 miles in 500 hours in Birmingham for a £300 purse, and then she did it again in Wolverhampton in October 1852. Yet the biggest Bloomer superstar was 31-year-old Jane Dunn, also an American living in England. Jane did the big one and won big. That is, she finished the 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours in a Manchester tea garden in May 1853, and she pocketed 500 pounds. Jane Dunn did it again on a bowling green in Warwickshire in July 1853. She was succeeded by an Annie Foster in June 1854, who completed her 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours in Manchester. Ensuring that her reputation remained intact, Jane Dunn set a new female record in August that year in Liverpool by finishing her Barclay match and then immediately adding a gruelling 140 quarter miles in 140 quarter hours, bringing her total to 1,035 miles in as many hours. So, by the end of 1854, three women had done the 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours, and all of them had done so in England. Four years later, in September 1858, on the other side of the world, American pedestrian Alan McKean, who'd arrived in the colony of Victoria five months earlier, announced that he was going to be the first man in Australia to conquer the 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours. To the Melbourne newspapers, this was a man doing one of the most manly things imaginable. So naturally, there was lots of press interest in his story. Bell's Life newspaper gave much detail about Alan McKean and his claimed achievements. Readers learned he'd been born in 1827 in Hartford, Connecticut, and in October of 1853 in San Francisco, California, he'd succeeded in walking the Barclay match. He'd apparently tried again in Sacramento in March the following year, but a bad ankle had seen him give up after about 800 miles. After that, Alan had briefly been a policeman, worked on a whaling ship, survived a shipwreck in South America, and had to walk some 800 miles to safety. Following that ordeal, he continued the wandering life that led him to Australia. That was all very exciting and also unverifiable. I've checked American newspapers and I haven't found any record of an Alan McKean walking 1,000 miles in 1853 in San Francisco or trying again the next year in Sacramento. That's odd because such walks were typically publicised to get paying customers through the gates and to get people laying wages. Whatever he had or hadn't done to date, Alan McKean was now going to walk 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours inside Ballarat's Victoria Theatre on a ramp circuit that measured 195 feet and 7 inches. Walking around that platform 27 times equaled a mile plus 40 feet. Alan was going to do 648 laps a day. That was 27,000 laps over 
41 days and 16 hours. If he made the 1,000 miles, he'd be paid £200. If he failed, he'd get nothing. Admission to the Victoria Theatre was one shilling. What wasn't said in the newspapers was that Alan's remuneration was almost certainly dependent on admission. That £200 would have been payable in full contingent on sufficient box office. If the Victoria Theatre didn't make bank, then neither would Alan. In terms of Alan doing the 1,000 miles legitimately, the same sort of assurances as were made in England were offered to the Victorian public. Ballarat's police inspectors would drop in now and again. Spectators could attend any time of day or night, and if anyone could prove Alan wasn't walking fair and square, they'd get a reward of £20. Alan McKean had a room in which to rest in the Victoria Theatre, and he was to be attended by three men working in shifts. He began his 1,000-mile walk at 6.45am on Sunday the 19th of September. In the weeks that followed, attendance was reportedly good, and newspapers gave regular progress reports on his distance, average speeds, mental and physical state. By the 16th of October, the Ballarat Star reported he'd done over 600 miles, having now been walking for 26 days and nights. A week later, he was three quarters of the way home, though Bell's Life said he'd been struggling with swollen legs. As he closed in on 1,000 miles, Alan's helpers had to literally carry him from his bed and set him in motion so he could slog out his two miles before collapsing again into sleep. On the evening of Saturday the 30th of October, the Victoria Theatre was packed with people who'd come to see the pedestrian cross the finish line. At 8.28 that night, amid immense cheers, he came from his room to walk the last mile. He'd made it around the track 18 times when he had to retire to his room because he was about to pass out and his legs were weak to the point of collapse. After a few minutes, Alan re-emerged, did another lap, and then retired again. Bell's Life reported, quote, The excitement at this juncture became intense, and it became to be feared that he would break down in his last mile. Alan re-emerged to more cheers, and told the audience he needed them to be quiet. He kept on, as Bell's Life reported, quote, Bracing up every energy he possessed, and under the care of his attendants, who nursed him to the utmost, he succeeded in performing his last mile in 22 minutes, 30 seconds. Alan McKean was too exhausted to make a speech and Bell's Life reported he'd be recovering for weeks. The newspaper published a table of stats from the walk and rhapsodised about his stamina, pluck and endurance. As to the point of the undertaking, Bell's Life said, quote, Since the commencement of the match, it has been repeatedly urged in our presence, of what use is it, a man wearing out his constitution in the performance of a feat like this? Our answer is simple. It shows to what a great extent human nature can endure, and, if nothing else, it is a living instance of the old proverb, patience and perseverance will surmount all obstacles. Bell's life said, There were few men in the world who could do what he'd done, even if the recently discovered welcome nugget awaited them at the finish line. Alan McKean's reward was a lot less. What he'd earned hadn't even covered his expenses, and so a benefit was staged at the Charles Napier Theatre in Ballarat. 
While his walk hadn't been a big money spinner for him, the torture of 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours had been worthwhile on some level because Allen started his next Barclay match at Melbourne's Olympic Theatre on the 23rd of November 1858. Bell's life covered him again in detail. Here's how they reported his 594th mile. Quote, he complained of numbness of the lower extremities and of pain in the balls of his feet. His feet have been severely blistered and inflamed, notwithstanding which he pursues, as he described it, his dull, ceaseless round, the monotony of which he complains. Bell's life continued. Since the commencement of the match, he has become much thinner and during the time of walking presents a cadaverous, careworn and drowsy appearance. In the course of the week, it was rumoured in town that he had broken down. This report arose probably from the state of lethargy against which he has so repeatedly to struggle. His friends regret that he should have undertaken the task so soon after the completion of a similar feat at Ballarat, the performance of which twice within four months requiring almost superhuman efforts. Twenty years later, a correspondent for Geelong Advertiser would write, quote, I remember well how, at the time, we used to flock to Lonsdale Street to see poor, worn-out McCann staggering along in his somnolent state, only kept alive by the cordials of his trainer, and how, when he had completed his last lap, he used to fall mechanically prostrate on the bed prepared for him. Alan McKean kept on battling and on the 3rd of January 1859, in front of a full house, he staggered across the finish line. Bell's Life reported he did the final mile in 17 minutes and 30 seconds, quote, during a greater part of which time he seemed asleep. In March 1859, Alan McKean would try again in Sydney, only to call it quits after walking 437 miles because admissions from attendance weren't sufficient to make the agony worthwhile a third time. By then, back in Melbourne, a new Barclay match challenger had emerged. A woman named Margaret Douglas. Who was she? Where did she come from? Why did she feel she could take on a task that had left veteran American walker Alan McKean a wreck? We'll try to unravel her origins towards the end of this episode. Suffice to say, we don't get much from the newspapers of the time. While there was some coverage, enough to make this episode, descriptions were brief and lacked the sort of detail that had been furnished about Alan McKean. Here's what the Geelong advertiser reported of her in total at this time. Quote, Mrs. Douglas is a married woman and the mother of seven children, three of whom are living. She is of diminutive stature, middle age and a native of Doncaster, Yorkshire. Her husband is a partial cripple and incapable of working from an attack of paralysis, so that the whole family depends for support on her sole exertions. Clearly, there was a great backstory, yet the Geelong advertiser didn't dig any further. What the age had to add was mainly about her husband, who was, quote, an old colonist and an old play actor who, they'd heard, had worked for famous performer and producer George Coppin's troupe. Tragedy had struck when, quote, in the course of his duty as a pantaloon, he received a blow on the back of his head that partially paralysed his frame. It was on account of this, the age said, quote, that for the support of her helpless husband and three young children, she is now performing this wondrous task. 
Bell's Life had run numerous articles about Alan McKean, but Margaret Douglas was off-limits editorially because her endeavours, as we've heard, were deemed unwomanly. Yet the publication would accept advertising dollars from her backers. On the 26th of February, Bell's Life ran a notice that read, quote, American Hippodrome, the wonder of the age. Mrs. Douglas will perform the Herculean task of walking 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours. Ladies, patronise your sex. Gentlemen, gallantry calls you to attend. The ad claimed this was a, quote, unparalleled feat never before attempted by any woman in the world. As we've also heard, that wasn't true, but it hadn't been seen before in Australia and only a handful of times in England. The ad explained that day and night, Margaret was to walk one mile commencing at 20 minutes to two, four, six, eight, ten and twelve o'clock and another mile commencing one minute after these hours. Admission to the American Hippodrome was one shilling or you could get a season pass for a guinea. The Age and the Argus ran similar ads and were similarly uninterested in reporting Margaret's actual walk. While their policy was to ignore, other publications were openly hostile. Justifying its decision to not cover Margaret, Bell's Life claimed, quote, We are always ready to give our support to any feats of endurance, strength, agility or manly science where they are properly applied, but an entertainment of this kind is, in our opinion, rather novel than agreeable. From afar, the South Australian Weekly Chronicle simply said it was a, quote, most unseemly exhibition. Following the lead of its English counterpart, which was antagonistic to lady pedestrians, the Melbourne version of Punch published a piece headlined Emancipation of Woman, in which it mocked what Margaret augured in terms of female liberation. Quote, The first step has been taken towards the emancipation of woman from the obnoxious restraints hitherto imposed upon her mind and movements. A Mrs. Douglas is advertised to walk a thousand miles in a thousand hours. If Mrs. Douglas succeeded, Punch wondered, whatever would be next? Quote, Arrangements are being made with another lady who will catch and kill with her teeth a thousand rats in a thousand minutes, and two female champions of the ring are understood to be training at Ballarat. It went on, quote, A woman has been found who has undertaken to eat a full-grown leg of mutton with trimmings and a barrel of oysters at one sitting, and to swallow 15 pots of porter and a pint of gin in order to assist with the deglution of the solids. Advance Australia. Despite these newspaper naysayers, who it's safe to presume represented the attitudes of many men and some women, Margaret Douglas went right ahead with her walk. She was actually reported as starting at 7.45 on that morning, Tuesday the 1st of March 1859, and she progressed at a good clip day and night. On the 5th of March, the Bendigo advertiser cast doubt on whether Margaret was actually performing the task as promised, the implication being she was sleeping at night. Quote, If the public could be satisfied that this undertaking, as well as other undertakings of a similar kind, were bona fide, the interest manifested would be greater. There was a very strong impression abroad that such feats were not honestly performed, and it is more than probable that Mrs. Douglas may not, in consequence, be so appreciated as the novelty of her effort deserves. 
So while it wasn't outright saying she was cheating, the Bendigo advertiser said all endurance feats were tainted by this suspicion and her attendance would suffer as a result. Yet on the 28th of December the previous year, the same newspaper had, during its extensive reporting of Alan McKeon's second walk, said, quote, At the commencement of the undertaking, an idea was prevalent that there was a want of genuineness about the affair. The Bendigo advertiser said that people had thought that observations would cease in the evening, giving Alan McCann the chance to rest on the sly. But, quote, We have every reason to believe that there is not the slightest foundation for any sinister reports of the kind. In any case, Margaret's backers used these doubts to drum up interest with the following ad. Quote, £20 reward, whereas certain rumours having been circulated as to the non-performance of Mrs Douglas's nocturnal pedestrianism. The above reward is offered and will be paid to any individual that may think proper to humour her with a visit at the specified hours of walking, as stated in the advertisement, and find her not fulfilling her task. The above reward will also be paid to any person who can satisfactorily prove that she has not already walked each and every mile up to the present time. With newspapers providing little editorial coverage, as an example, Alan McCann was the subject of 15 Bendigo Advertiser articles in 1858-1859, while Margaret Douglas merited three mentions, including the doubting one you've just heard. It's only through regular advertisements that we're able to track Margaret's progress. On Friday the 11th of March at 4.15pm, she clocked up her 250th mile. Margaret made her 600th mile at 6.20am on Saturday the 26th of March. On Saturday the 9th of April 1859, Bell's life relented a little and, perhaps because they'd been the beneficiary of another advertising spend, gave readers a heads up that Margaret was closing in on her target. Quote, Mrs. Douglas will complete her feat of walking a thousand miles in a thousand hours on Monday next at 10 o'clock p.m. and solicits the attendance of her friends on that occasion. Melbourne's newspapers now did take some interest, so we know from the Argus and the Age that there were about a hundred people in attendance as Margaret walked her 999th mile from 20 to 10 that night. She covered the distance in 16 minutes 30 seconds. Then starting at 10.01, to the cheers of her friends and fans, Margaret performed her 1,000th mile in a speedy 13 minutes and 42 seconds. Margaret Douglas had done it. She was the first woman to walk 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours in the Southern Hemisphere. The Age noted, quote, There is no reason to doubt that it has been a bona fide affair the time book being apparently well authenticated. Indeed, this book had been signed by visitors that included Sir Henry Barclay, the Governor of Victoria, and the Honourable John O'Shaughnessy, the colony's premier. The Age reported that on the conclusion of this extraordinary task, especially for a woman, quote, she seemed little fatigued, walking quite as briskly as at the commencement, and we are informed that yesterday morning she said she was convinced she could walk an additional 500 miles. She has performed her task with far less apparent exhaustion than was suffered by Alan McCann. 
What Margaret did have in common with Alan was that she was reported not to have made as much money as she'd expected from her 1,000 miles, and so a benefit was staged for her at the Princess's Theatre on Saturday night, the 23rd of April. The Argus reported, quote, In the interval between the more legitimate portions of this entertainment, she gave a sample of her walking powers by promenading briskly around the stage a number of times until she had completed a circuit equal to a mile. This feat she accomplished in 11 minutes and some odd seconds, a pace which the audience unanimously pronounced perfectly satisfactory. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. By the start of June 1859, Margaret was ready to walk another 1,000 miles, this time in the concert hall of Ballarat's Star Hotel. Advertisements in the Star newspaper in that town proclaimed her the wonder of the world and exaggerated she was doing, quote, what hundreds have tried and but three succeeded in. Margaret got going again at 7.40 on the morning of Tuesday, the 7th of June. An illuminated placard outside the hotel recorded her progress. By the 27th of June, she'd done 485 miles. The Star newspaper told readers, quote, she suffers little and keeps up a good heart in her undertaking, for a woman unexampled. On the 11th of July, the paper reported, quote, This really wonderful woman continues her dull round with an energy and perseverance unrivaled within our experience. At this time, Margaret issued a challenge to anyone who wanted to take her on. On the 12th of July, a Ballarat woman accepted via a notice in the Star newspaper. Quote, I, Fanny Tracy, native of Stammer Park, County Clare, Ireland, do hereby accept Mrs. Douglas's challenge to walk 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours for from 50 to 100 pounds sterling to commence one fortnight after Mrs. Douglas's completion of her present task at the Star Hotel. Mrs. Douglas replied the next day in the newspaper, quote, If Fanny Tracy means business and is not blowing, she can send £10 to the agent of Bell's Life when it will be instantly covered and a match insured on her own terms. On Monday the 18th of July, at one minute past ten in the evening, Margaret Douglas finished her 1,000th mile, again apparently in fine form. The following day, Ballarat's Reverend George Mackey wrote to the star to blast the female pedestrian and all those exploiting her. Quote, Sir, it has been said and sung long ago that man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn. In this instance, it is a woman I plead for, and the case is one of vast importance for the morality of the country and to our reputation as a Christian people. The Reverend compared Margaret's performance to the barbarism of Spanish bull-baiting and argued that any owner who made a horse walk for a thousand miles over a thousand consecutive hours would be charged with cruelty. 
Quote, now the papers tell us, with a patronising air about it, as if it was something we should be proud of, that Mrs Douglas has completed her 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours. O tempora, o mores. Is this our greatness and our glory? Shame, shame. The Reverend went on to say that licensed victuallers should be expelled from their association if they were found, quote, helping this and other poor women destroy themselves. In finishing, he asked whether there were enough good Christians in Ballarat to, quote, put a stop to this kind of amusement, and he urged that Mrs. Douglas be ordered to find another way to care for her husband and family. Of course, the fieriness of this missive begs the question, had Reverend George Mackey penned a similarly vitriolic protest letter when physically and mentally wrecked, Alan McKeon had staggered across the finish line in Ballarat's Victoria Theatre less than a year earlier? I think you know the answer to that. Margaret Douglas again hadn't made as much money for her family as she'd hoped, and so a benefit was staged at the Charles Napier Theatre, where she walked a mile against time and performed an Irish jig and a Highland fling. The Star reported the following Monday, though, that the audience was not very numerous. And as for the challenge from Irish-born, would-be long-distance walker Fanny Tracy, that didn't seem to have come off. Yet Margaret Douglas now did have a serious rival. The Ballarat Times reported that on Sunday the 4th of September 1859, at the town's Montezuma Theatre, a woman named Beverly Howard had started walking her 1,000 hours. Thing was, though, she was going to walk 1,250 miles in that time. Beverly would walk a mile and a quarter in each consecutive hour, doing it over 45 laps of a track inside the theatre. As for who Beverly Howard was, the newspapers were even less interested than they were in Margaret Douglas. In an article nearly 20 years later, the Geelong advertiser would make passing reference to describe Beverly as having been, quote, a gaunt female, then a cook in a metropolitan hotel. Yet there's reason to doubt this due to a court proceeding briefly mentioned in the 15th of September 1859 issue of Ballarat Star's newspaper. The case was Mendoza versus Peel. Mendoza, the plaintiff, was in court seeking £4 and 10 shillings in wages. Peel, the defendant, represented by a Mr Lewis, claimed she dismissed Mendoza for not fulfilling his duties. Miss or Mrs Peel won and the case was dismissed. The Star newspaper noted, quote, The defendant was the female pedestrian known as Miss Beverly Howard. Beverly, real name Miss or Mrs Peel, seemed to be a woman of some means given she was in a position to hire and fire someone and then pay a lawyer to defend her interests in court. However, with no first name given and Peel a common family name, we're unfortunately no closer to her real identity. Bell's Life newspaper was as hostile to Beverly Howard as it had been to Margaret Douglas. When Montezuma's management sought to notify readers about her quest, the publication issued this terse response, quote, we cannot insert the pedestrian feats of women. Beverly Howard should have been news. While numerous men had completed the Barclay match of 1,000 miles, very few had gone much beyond that distance, and no woman anywhere on record had reached anything like 1,250 miles. Yet newspaper coverage was scant. 
The Ballarat Times reported that by Friday the 9th at 8pm, Beverly had completed 137.5 miles, doing her one and a quarter miles in an average of 18 minutes. Quote, In order to prove that she faithfully performs her weary task, the public are admitted free of charge at 2, 4 and 6 o'clock each morning. She appears at present as vigorous and unfatigued as when she first commenced and is confident of being able to complete the task. Now, with Beverly slogging away in Ballarat, Margaret Douglas started her third 1,000-mile attempt, this time in the long room at the Black Swan Hotel in Bendigo. The Bendigo advertiser checked on Margaret when she was 186 miles in and found she was doing her miles at a healthy average of 14 minutes. On the 15th of October, in Bendigo, with Beverly Howard closing in on her finish line, Ballarat locals flocked to the Montezuma Theatre. They expected to see her creeping and crawling the last miles in an agony similar to that experienced by Alan McKean. The Ballarat Times newspaper reported, quote, But it was not so. She was neither lame, nor halt, nor slow. Beverly walked her second last mile and a quarter in 20 minutes and 15 seconds, and the final mile and a quarter in 21 minutes 45 seconds. She did these, quote, at an almost regular pace, with her body suitably thrown forward, but not bent, with a free motion of both hands and feet, and with no perceptible heaviness of step. Having finished, Beverly did three more laps to prove that she still had strength in reserve. The Ballarat Times said her final speed was, quote, at a rate of progression that many females do not ordinarily exceed and which some ladies would consider active exercise. To say, however, that Miss Howard experienced no signs of fatigue would not be correct. She occasionally swayed to one side or the other during the performance of her last 45 rounds, but quickly recovered herself with some slight aid from the side railings of the stage on which she walked. She also appeared to be reduced very considerably in weight. If you'll pardon the pun, compared with Alan McKeon, Beverly Howard had also walked it in. Walked it in while walking 1,250 miles in 1,000 hours, a feat no woman anywhere in the world was on record as having achieved. That makes her Australia's other great forgotten sporting heroine, and a few months down the track, the Ballarat Times report of her achievement would be reprinted in the English newspapers, just as accounts of Margaret Douglas's feats had made the London press. True to form, Beverly was reported not to have made much money from her incredible accomplishment. And Bell's Life newspaper actually celebrated this. Quote, We are not sorry to learn that the pecuniary result of her labour has been unsatisfactory, as it may deter others from adopting a profession eminently unsuited to the gentler sex. Though Beverly Howard had finished her 1,250 miles, Margaret Douglas was still nine days off completing her latest 1,000 miles at Bendigo's Black Swan Hotel. But news of her rival's success had reached her. So, while on a break on the 19th of October, she sat down and wrote a notice that she'd pay to place in Bell's Life newspaper. Quote, Challenge. Mrs. Douglas the pedestrian. There is no such word as fail. I, Margaret Douglas, hereby challenge Miss Beverly Howard to walk 1,500 miles in 1,000 consecutive hours, or any man or woman in the Australian colonies to walk 1,000 miles 
in 1,000 consecutive half-hours, if accepted, the match to come off in Melbourne. Either of these challenges was huge. The first would mean one and a half miles per hour every hour for six weeks. The second, a staggering two miles every hour for three weeks. Margaret Douglas finished her 1,000 miles at the Black Swan Hotel on the 24th of October, 1859. The Bendigo advertiser reported, quote, She showed evident signs of distress, but rallied in response to the cheers of her friends who gathered round to see her come in. Margaret Douglas and Jane Dunn were now the only women in the world on record to have completed three 1,000-mile Barclay matches. The indefatigable Mrs. Douglas immediately announced her next challenge. In just five days' time, she'd walk two miles in 24 minutes for £10 at Bendigo's Camp Reserve. Reporting on this race against time, the Bendigo advertiser provided a rare Australian newspaper depiction of Margaret Douglas in action. Quote, The little pedestrian, whose physique by the by is certainly not one calculated for the successful carrying out of such a task, started off and so well kept up the pace that she completed the distance 30 seconds under the time named and went off the ground apparently but little exhausted with a feat which would have severely taxed the powers of a person of apparently much greater strength. In other words, a man. The newspaper continued, The action of this performer is most remarkable, the stride being remarkably short, yet, notwithstanding the speed obtained, none could object to it as a fair toe-and-heel performance, and even those who had bet against her and consequently lost their money could not object to the result. Two miles in 24 minutes was impressive, but that was now small potatoes because Beverly Howard? She'd accepted the 1,500-mile challenge. It was on. Margaret Douglas versus Beverly Howard. Two women, both accomplished long-distance pedestrians at a time when women weren't supposed to participate in sport, were about to face off in a showdown unlike anything ever before seen in the world. I'm Michael Adams and you've been listening to part one of the Forgotten Australia episode, Australia's First Sporting Heroine. The second and final instalment will be released very soon, so make sure you're subscribed to get it as soon as it comes out. In the meantime, I'd love it if you could leave a review and or rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, because this will help the show reach other people. Special thanks again to Warren Fay for use of music from his Australian Bush Orchestra album. You can find this and his other albums at iTunes. Forgotten Australia is written and produced by me in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. As always, thanks for listening. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.